Father, thank you so much. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is with us. And we just look to him and say, Holy Spirit, reveal the precious Son of God to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, I'm back with Dane Ortland again. Dane, thanks so much for doing this. What a joy. Anytime. I love spending time with you, even if it's virtual, better in person, but I always love interacting with you, Eric. So you're my favorite person to interview for a couple of reasons. I'll give just three. One of them is your humility is refreshing. Mm. Your joy, number two, is contagious. Mm. And three, your revelation of Jesus is captivating. Praise God. So I'm really excited about today. Guys, we're going to be looking at his book deeper. If you don't have it, I encourage you to grab a hold of it. But we're going to talk today from uh, 2 Peter 3, 18. Peter encourages us, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dane, what does that mean? I will seek to be obedient to answer that question, but you said three nice things about me. So I got to say at least one nice thing about you. I was thinking about you a couple hours ago as I was thinking about this time together, Eric, and I thought to myself, what would be a verse that maps clearly on to Eric? And the verse that came to mind is, I'm looking at it right now. We're going to get to 2 Peter 3 in a second. <laughs> Acts 4.13, where... Uh, Peter and John, you know, they've been preaching boldly, and uh, all the religious bigwigs are getting so frustrated with them. And it says that when they saw, that is the religious PhDs, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they had been, that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. Now, here's the line. And they recognized, you know this, that they had been with Jesus. Why do I love talking to Eric Gilmore? Reason number one. Because it's clear you have been with Jesus. <laughs> Those who look to him are radiant, Psalm 34, 5. Um, you have that. God, it's Christ in you. All glory to God. But you have that. So I, I am uplifted. When I talk with you, I conclude brighter <laughs> than I, and, and higher and more lifted up and built up than I was going in. Thank you for your ministry to me in that way. Now, let's get down to this. 2 Peter 3.18. I'm going to flip over to it. Grow in the grace um, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So apparently, um, Eric, we don't, uh, we're not robots. <laughs> we don't come into Christ, and we can talk about this more if you want, but union with Jesus is the primary way the New Testament talks about what it is to be a Christian. We're actually in him. Okay, you don't come into Christ, and then it's like um, we with the Holy Spirit press cruise control set at 74, and on we go. Rather, it's a growth in the same way that, I mean, John 3 speaks of new birth. It's a growth in the same way that a tiny little helpless baby comes into the world naked and just unable to do anything on its own, but actually grows. Um, and so we are meant to move through our Christian life. Uh, the title of the book is Deeper, Deepening. Uh, uh, and I put it that way, brother, and I welcome your thoughts on this. I put it that way because I think a lot of Christians have the mistaken idea 
that Christian growth is either adding doctrinal data to their head or behaving better morally with their hands or just feeling in a more experiential sensory way in their hearts, head, hand, heart. Actually, all of that is involved in growing. But growth in Christ transcends all of that. It's a sinking ever deeper into what it is to be united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit as ordained by the Father. So uh, growth is is fundamentally, this is vague and abstract, so we can go drill into this in whatever way you want, but it's fundamentally a, um, not an adding, but a deepening in everything we were given at conversion. Oh, I, I love that. You say it here like this. You say, um, so we be, we need to begin by getting clear on who this person is yeah. in whom we grow. Yes. And then you say it like this. You say he is a person, not just a historical figure, but an actual person alive well today. He is yeah. to be related to, trusted, spoken to, listened to. Jesus is not a concept, not an ideal, not a force growing in Christ is a relational, not yeah. formulaic experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you you deeply believe that you exude and exhibit that, Eric. Um, for most of my life, I've I've really not understood that, or I've had a thin apprehension of what you just said. And maybe I still do and just don't know it, but that he's a person. I think a lot of Christians would be happier and 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 more beautiful in their countenance if they saw actually the Lord Jesus Christ above is a person. Uh he is the God man, he's the God man, but he is a person and he's to be related to as such. I mean even the Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved, for example. Um and and I think that we can very easily become Christians and think that when we be at the moment of conversion, on that day, we saw clearly who Jesus is and what he is like. And now I'm going to live the rest of my life on the fumes of what I fully saw then. When in fact, mm-hmm. conversion is where we do truly see who Christ is, as our Lord and Savior. But actually, that's the beginning. That's the pebble dropping into the pond. That That's the... The first, that's just the launching of a lifetime of going ever deeper into seeing just how wonderful and beautiful and irresistible the Lord Jesus is. Um, and so that that's what I want from my life. I, I want our church to be a church that, that shows up every Sunday morning to say, what, what is there in this massive Jesus Christ that I haven't yet seen that I get to see today? And then having stumbled into church, float home because I've seen more of the glories and beauties of Jesus Christ. We go flat in our Christian life, among other reasons, because we uh, we reduce Jesus. We reduce him down to our predictable, sort of we domesticate him, we decaffeinate him. <laughs> we think that he is, uh, he, he, that, that we can capture him in our minds. And I just want to keep growing in seeing how endlessly resplendent (laughs) in his might and in his mercy the Lord Jesus is. Because 
Eric, at 44 years old, pastoring this church, having written a couple books, I'm scratching the surface. I'm scratching the surface. You and I are going to be in the new earth one day. And what it will be is, this is the teaching of Jonathan Edwards, what it will be is the endless, it's very hard to get our, we cannot get our finite minds around this. It is the endless exploring of the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ in new and deeper ways. So uh, we're, we're beginning that journey in this brief little life, and we're going to do it forever in heaven. But that is what the Christian life is. It is not, okay, conversion, I download uh, Jesus. Okay, I got him now. Now mm. I'm going to get down to growth. No, it's actually seeing him and then really seeing him. And the next day, really seeing him. And then we really screw up. Oh, and then we come back to him and fall into his open arms. And we really see him. And you spend your whole life getting more and more wondering <laughs> at what he's actually like. So growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is literally an expansion of seeing what he's like, who he is, and that causes the growth. I believe that. I believe that that is what the New Testament teaches. Yeah. Um, and a, a really a key point here, brother, is at the moment of conversion. So when 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 Dane was given new birth, I was given by the Holy Spirit in seed form everything that I need to grow. Sure. Um, it's not that like I, I was like on the list of things that I need for my Christian life. I was given three and I need to go out and find another 97 and then I'll have the 100 things I need to grow. Actually, I was given everything I need. So the, the teaching, oh, Eric, the teaching of the New Testament, you, you can sum it up like this. It is. Get up tomorrow morning and and walk through your day, live your life in accord with what you already have, wow. as opposed to what we're naturally doing all the time. I'm doing this all the time, man. Get up in the morning and scramble about, okay, now I got to go find out there something. I got, I got to read the Bible and get something I don't have. I got to talk to a Christian friend. No, God has given me everything that I need. Hmm. I need to now live out what I have. It's akin to a butter a butterfly crawling across a branch like it's still a caterpillar. What would we say to that butterfly? We would say, don't you know that you've been transformed? You've been changed. You can now fly. And uh, that is what is true of us. Actually, we have been through the cocoon of conversion, regeneration, new birth, salvation. Uh, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Yes. I, I seek greater fillings of the Holy Spirit, but I do have the Holy Spirit, and I just want to live in light of that. Be who you now are. That's the New Testament's teaching. Not go out and find it. Be who you now already are. Wow. You, you say it like this here, growth is not independent personal improvement. Mm. It is growth in Christ. And then you have this analogy here that I love. You said, have we snorkeled in the shallows thinking we've now hit the bottom of the Pacific. I I love that. And there's another phrase here you use where you talk about unwittingly reducing Jesus. Yeah. So it seems uh, like you're you're making a point here that part of our human condition is yeah. to move past the person of Christ as if we already got him. We already, or you know what I mean? Like we already understand yeah. him in his in his depths. And it seems like you're connecting here my uh, 
looking unto the Lord and being mm-hmm. transfixed up upon him, uh, you know, his resplendence, his glory. That is the essence of growth. While the human propensity is to say, I've, you know, I, I'm, I, I understand doctrines. I understand things. I've felt things. I've experienced things. That's enough. That's, right. what, it seems, that's what it seems like yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You got it exactly right, brother. And I, I love the way you just laid it out. I mean, um, the, uh, I'm told the sunflowers in Kansas uh-huh. grow by every day. The sun comes up, rise in the east, sets in the west. And actually they, they face, they face it with the, you know, the open flower and they track with it through the day. Mm-hmm. So that's how I grow too. Mm-hmm. I face I mean, we, we are going to, uh, G.K. Beale is an author. He says, we we will um, look like what we worship. We will resemble what we revere. Wow. <laughs> what, I, what, what, I, I, what, what I look at, I will look like. So I want to spend my day looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do I see him? In word and sacrament. So scripture and sacrament. And, and look at him, ponder him unhurriedly. <laughs> And track with him, so to speak, throughout the day. It doesn't mean I'm spending every every conscious moment thinking about him. That's ludicrous. We can't do that. We live our life. We live our ordinary Christian life. We eat, sleep, everything. But I am I'm I'm building a habit of looping back mentally to the Lord Jesus in communing love. I find myself going through the day just saying, "Oh Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, have mercy." Um, and so that that is the way you put it is how I believe we do grow. It's it, we complicate it, we layer it, we complexify what Christian growth is. Eric, mm-hmm. actually, all it is is looking at Jesus. I'm not saying that that's easy, and I'm not saying that that is easily achieved. Uh, we have to fight. Oh man, I have to fight to put my phone down and look at Jesus. But that actually is how we are beautified spiritually. And I love the way that I put this on the first couple of pages of the book. I'm just looking at it here in uh, Prince Caspian, the second Narnia book, where they the, the children show up in Narnia again. And Lucy says, Aslan, you're bigger. Now, th- this is a profound insight into how we grow. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are I am not, he said, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I think that is actually, that's the whole book in a nutshell. My growth is in seeing Jesus bigger. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's the point. So I would like to do this. Yeah. This is different than what we've done before in the past, but you give, I believe, seven things here about the person of Jesus, unsearchable, uh, uh, his ruling, his saving. You mm. talk about his befriending, his mm. persevering, interceding, returning, and tender. Let's do this. I'm going to say each one of these okay. and just kind of make a comment of, of some kind that... Sure you know, bursts up inside of you as, as we talk about these things about Jesus. So number one, you say here, unsearchable. What do you mean by this? (laughs) Uh, We believe that we will, it's like that ocean snorkeling and ocean thing. We, we uh, deeply believe that um, we understand and have exhausted 
what he's like and who he is. And we're thankful for it and we love him for it. And we think that we've hit the borders, hit the ceiling. Uh, but actually, the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3, 8, the only other place in the scripture that that word unsearchable is used is in Romans 11, very end of Romans 11, about God, because God is infinite. The riches of Christ are like that. You don't ever get to the end of them. So um, I, I, it doesn't matter what I feel or think. I am never going to hit bottom on what the Lord Jesus is like. I, finite Dane, am going to spend a lifetime growing to see and love the infinite Jesus Christ. Praise God. That just makes me want to worship. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now you talk about one of another aspect of this, this man, Jesus Christ, who is God ruling. What, what do you mean by thinking about his rule? We're going through life and we're seeing the news headlines and we're like, oh, good grief. This world is spinning out of control. And then we look at our own little life <laughs> and our own sins, failures, regrets, shames, addictions, whatever. And we say, my life is spinning out of control. And um, I, I'm just trying to say there in a couple of pages, may we remember together that this unsearchable Christ, actually every molecule <laughs> is ordered by him and is doing exactly what he is telling it to do. And so he is actually running the show. He's doing it in a way that is for the good of his people. And uh, he is going to one day come back and, and right all wrongs. He, he is ruling, not he's managing helping, not he's um, trying or attempting to, uh, not he's um, watching things spin out of control and he's rushing around trying to uh, fix and heal. He is running the show. He's ruling this universe. And uh, given who he is, that's a deep comfort. That also makes me want to worship. And you start talking about his saving. Jesus yeah. Saving. Yeah. Yeah. That, that This is really very... We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. That's good. That's very biblical. Let's keep doing that. Sometimes I I, I was about to be critical, so I'm going to withhold that comment towards <laughs> other believers. When I say saving, what I mean is he's not meeting us halfway. He doesn't give us um, a boost, you know, like... Um, I'm going to age myself here. When I was growing up in an elementary school playing Super Mario Brothers, and I got the mushroom or got a star, and I was temporarily faster or invincible. That's not what Jesus is like. It's 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 like this. Ephesians 2, I was dead. Yes. I was dead. Um, And Jesus came along, and he did to me what he did to Lazarus. He didn't say to Lazarus, hey, Lazarus, if you can start wiggling a little bit or at least get your pants on, then I'll help you get out of that grave. <laughs> he told him, rise. He actually raised him. And what did Lazarus contribute to coming alive again? The answer is exactly what any of us contributes to Jesus saving us. All we contribute is the death that needs life. All I contribute is the sin that needs saving. So therefore, all the glory goes to him. I think you said something. I'm trying to recall it. You said something like, you're not drowning and you need a life preserver. You're right. stone dead at the bottom of the sea. Bingo. That's it. <laughs> now you talk about this other charm of Christ that we should we should keep these things before us. Befriending. Oh! <laughs> not like a Facebook friend. Um, 
this is very precious to both you and me. He's not a, um, how do we put it? When, when we become believers, we're not suddenly now employed. He says, no longer do I call you servants, John 15. I call you friends. I have pulled you into my deepest heart. I have befriended you. And unlike every other human friendship where if I, if I betray your trust enough, the walls will go up and our friendship will end with anyone. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Jesus is the one friend. He's the one person in the universe where no matter how bad we are from our end of the friendship, he will never put up a wall. He will only ever patiently, tenderly, ruggedly, mightily ever pursue us and chase us down um, all the days of our life, as Psalm 23 says. So um, that that he is a friend. Oh, the pathos of that, the warmth, the affection. Um, and I just think some Christians have a very clear grasp that he has done the objective thing of justifying them through his atoning work on the cross and resurrection. That is gloriously true, but it is also true. There's there's this, that's light, but there's also heat. There's also the warmth of his, his friendship. That's a savior I want to be with. <laughs> that's a movie. It melts my heart. Yeah. God yeah. would be this way. <laughs> yes. And now you move on to persevering. What, what do you mean by Jesus is persevering? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until they um, screwed up the thousandth time. No, he loved them to the end. He went all the way to the end. He's a persevering. Um, some theologians speak of the perseverance of the saints. Actually, I subscribe to that. I believe that. But a better title for that doctrine, a better label is the perseverance of Jesus with us. Because it's not, when I go into the, when I go into a zero entry pool with my youngest son, Benjamin, I'm hanging on to him. And he's hanging on to me, and he thinks that he's safe to the degree he hangs on to me. But actually, I'm not letting go of him. Or if we walk into the beach, uh, the Florida beach, and waves start coming, I am not letting go of him. It is my hold of him that is what determines his safety, not his hold of me. It is Christ's hold of me, perseveringly, unendingly, that determines my safety, not my hold of him. And I do want to cling to him. But that's actually, it's not my activity that is what makes my uh, salvation certain. It's his. He perseveres with me. And continuing in that whole heart, you move on to interceding. Ah, this is neglected, Eric. Don't you think today in the church? I mean, I've neglected it in my life for most of my life. What's he doing right now? Here you and I are chatting, you know, on this afternoon, uh, uh, digitally, virtually. What's going on? Jesus Christ, the teaching of the New Testament, Romans 8, Hebrews 7, and 1 John 2 are the three key texts. He's called an intercessor in Romans and Hebrews and an advocate in 1 John. It's all roughly the same idea. What is he doing right now? He's praying for us. He's in heaven before the adoring angels to his father interceding. What does that mean? Hang on. I thought we talked about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Correct. What he's doing is he is applying what he has already fully accomplished. So he's not twiddling his thumbs and he's not bored. 
He's not waiting to return. He's very active, as active as he ever was in his earthly ministry, moment by moment, sort of pressing refresh on our salvation in the court of heaven. And as we fall into sin, as we screw up, he is saying, hang on, angels, father, let's all remember together. Uh, my finished work means that that person is safe. So he is enters. He's speaking up for us. He's defending us. He, he's he's standing next to us, not facing us. Um, you know, accusing us. That's what Satan does. Jesus is defending us. That's oh, glorious. Oh, man, it, it just every one of these just wins my heart. Now you yeah. talk about him returning. Yes. Uh, how easy it is that this drifts from our minds. And we think life is just going to, human history is going to keep flowing on and never come to an end. Eastern religions believe that there's just endless cycles to the world. Actually, we believe there was a start and there's going to be a completion that actually the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in disguise 2,000 years ago in his first coming. He's going to come without the disguise when he comes back. Um, according to Revelation 18, 19, 20, he's going to come with the armies of heaven and he's going to come in such a way that uh, um, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every wrong will be righted. Um, we will give an account, but we will give an account within the broader wraparound category as those who are his justified and adopted sons and daughters. So there's nothing to fear, and we will be uh, at rest. Eric, we will be rinsed clean of all of our deeply sick sinfulness, and it's going to feel far more different than we realize. I can't imagine what it will be like to be sinless. I cannot imagine because my mind is so warped. Everything I do say and think is infected with this awful thing, sin and self. It's awful. And I'm, I'm regenerate. God is changing me. But oh, what will it be like for him to return, set the world to rights, and we are all, uh, uh, sin is, is like stripped out of us, and we're given back our total glory. And the scripture says, we'll judge the angels even. <laughs> and we will rule and reign in bodies. We will eat and drink. We will enjoy the wind and the sun. I mean, it's going to be this world, very earthy. And that, that you know, pondering that is so fortifying, isn't it? For the difficulties of life. <laughs> the Lord is coming. And lastly, you talk about his tenderness. Just talk on this for a second. You, you, the, you, you, and I have a shared heart. Maybe the number one reason is that um, the way that you and I have been learning together in recent years of the tender heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I want sound doctrine, Eric, but that ain't enough. Um, if I have sound doctrine and I do not know his beating heart, Thomas Goodwin says, take your hands. I'm interrupting myself, but it's too good. I, he says, Hebrews 4.15, that Jesus sympathizes with us in every way except sin. He says, Hebrews 14 is a text where it's taking our hands and placing them on the chest of Jesus Christ to feel how his affections yearn for us. <laughs> Goodwin says, um, if I have sound doctrine and that's it, and I don't know that, what Goodwin just said about Hebrews 4.15, I will be a merciless, merciless Christian. I will be a merciless pastor. 
Um, but what if we had what if we had tidied up theology and and we had a glow within a, an acute, vivid, felt apprehension that it is in my deepest pockets of shame, regret, and remorse that that's where the Lord Jesus Christ loves me the most. If that's what he's like, if he is deep, if he is actually in his heart tender, um, that's a Jesus that I want to tell my neighbors about, not just so that I don't feel guilty for not evangelizing, but because I want them to actually experience it because yes. it's, it's, too, it's irresistible. So I'm so thankful for that truth, brother, as I know you are. So we will we'll close out like this. You, you end the book here by saying, <laughs> I love this. Or you end the, yeah, the chapter called Jesus. Let him in all his endless fullness love you into growth. Would you just look into the camera and maybe give a short exhortation to the person that's watching to encourage them in what it is to grow in the Lord? Well, anyone who is listening and desires to have some some help and answer to how to grow that number one is be encouraged that is itself a sign of the holy spirit it's not the devil that makes you want to grow in christ um if you have some desire some longing like lord help i want to get some fresh traction in my life that's the holy spirit i would say number one number two as my dad taught me fighting is winning fighting is winning if you're fighting you're winning take heart number three um you are not going to clamber and crowbar your way into growth we're melted not exhorted into change i do i do not grow by being told to grow though i know i need to and i need to be told i grow when i am loved i, I change when I am loved. So I would say to anyone who is who is um, trudging their way, and it feels like you're trudging through the mordor of your Christian life, and honestly, who of us doesn't feel that way, at least much of the time? Um, labor and fight to know and experience the, the love of God. I would just say to you afresh what you already know, Jesus really loves you. He loves you with all his mighty heart. He will never, if you're in him, he will never stop loving you. And the more agitated you get, the more he loves loving you. Because actually when you are hurting, he is hurting because you're his body part. He's the head of which you, are, you and I are a body. So don't give up. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to walk you through the wilderness of this world into heaven. And we're all going to look back one day and say, he only ever actually took care of me. He never did me any wrong. And it was all for my ultimate good. And we will sit and laugh and celebrate and rejoice on that day. In the meantime, hang in there. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. You are you're a gem in my, in my life. So 